and all this hype with the flu isn't just about big money. That's a big part of it, certainly. But it's for something to come down the road. It's the same with the climate change thing. It's going to change our entire ways of living. A completely pre-planned, structured society from birth to death on how you can live. That's what it's all about. And that's why, if you're standing up to your neck in snow, I don't care, they'll still be seeing it's global warming. Like parrots. Global warming. Over and over and over, regardless of the facts. Facts don't matter when it comes to marketing. That's how your your ads on television, they never tell you any truth. They just say, you want this. It looks nice. Back with more after this break. This is Cutting Through the Matrix. Before I go into my talk tonight, I'll just mention too that uh, Waiting for the Miracle, uh, my second book, or it's really the fourth one, uh, is available now in Spanish and Portuguese. For anyone who's interested, you'll see it in the Alan Watt Sentinel site uh, for sale. Now, let's see, marketing is an incredible science incredible science, very old too, and taught even through the 1800s and long before, I'm sure, by merchants, two merchants, on how to sell their wares. It developed into uh, office towers eventually, like Madison Avenue, and uh, they deal with the mind of the general public. Bernays was famous for uh, understanding, and he was taught this stuff, understanding the populace, what makes them tick, what makes them purchase, what motivates them. And he used it for the politicians as well as for the private companies that wanted to sell things. He was um, often in, uh, in to see the, the uh, president of the U.S. Uh, all through his life on different presidents and find, to find ways of even promoting wars and stuff like that. Very good at it. And he had utter contempt, according to his daughter, uh, for the general population, for the masses. You know, he had a total contempt. And I understand why, because you can imagine if you want to get women wearing miniskirts and smoking cigarettes in the 1920s, uh, and you, you do your promotions by getting society, young, young females in society to, to dress that way and smoke in public and, and announce it, publicity, get it through all the, the cinemas of the day. And then you see that the population copying it just like that. Eventually, you become uh, disdainful of the public as, as if they have no ideas of them for their own. And they don't have any ideas for themselves. They emulate what they see and what they think uh, the, the wealthier people are doing and wearing and speaking about or reading or whatever. That's what they emulate. So it's, it's an old science. But it's been used, as I say, uh, really all through Bernays' lifetime, right up to the present time by governments uh, to a great extent spent a lot of money on marketing strategies to convince the public of this or that or whatever and remember in marketing facts don't count they they spew out uh, as false facts they spew them out and they'll stick to that regardless of the cost because they know the propaganda uh, with mass marketing 
will overcome logic and rationale eventually. If you just keep at it long enough, it overcomes reason. And we've seen this with the so-called swine flu nonsense that's been pushed out there, where they try to panic the whole planet. And a lot of people have been panicked, even though the CDC has did reports that after panicking the public and after billions being given to the drug companies, uh, for many shots to come uh, in, in subsequent years, by the way, and uh, they, they admitted that uh, 97 to 98% of all the swab tests that were sent in as suspected H1N1 swine flu variety uh, were actually not the flu at all. That's almost 100%. Neither common yearly flu or swine flu. And they put it down to probably some other virus or bacterium. Or I would add to it hysteria. Because everyone with a snotty nose was running in to get swab tests done. And it's interesting too that halfway through the year, the the FDA and the CDC and all the rest of them who are all involved in this uh, said to stop uh, actually taking swab tests. Just put everybody down with swine flu. See, as part of them, so you really alter all the facts just to fit the marketing strategy. Personally, I have I believe through the information I've gone over uh, through, throughout the years to do with vaccination that has a more sinister purposes. I don't believe it's just uh, money and profit. I don't believe uh, it really helps anyone at all. But I can certainly uh, say with confidence in all the stuff I've read uh, that it has tremendous effects on the human body, ill effects, long-term, generally chronic. You get the, apart from the William Barr syndrome, there's a whole bunch of syndromes, and even admit even a lot of the early vaccinations for children will damage uh, localized parts of the brain through other different studies. I've got so much information from the official sources themselves which they don't advertise at all. And I also, I also believe that uh, it's part of the fertility agenda, bringing down fertility. I really believe that. Because when you study the sudden drop in fertility, according to the United Nations, since 1950 to the present, has been plummeting as uh, mandated inoculations were rising. Same with autism. There's no doubt whatsoever. The graph starts soaring uh, along with the mandated inoculations for children. So th- th- there's definitely a correlation there. Absolutely. And you, when you understand it as well, from rulers' point of view, see, government does not work in the way that people think it does. It really doesn't. Most people in government are pre-selected. They're also vetted for certain qualities, you might say, the ability to, to um, see the things that they're told to see and look away when they're supposed to look away from things. And most of them are corruptible and have been corrupted before they got into politics. And they don't mind the occasional money passing their way. That's my opinion of politicians the world over. By studying them, and by watching how much money they had when they went into politics and how much they had when they left politics. And then the directorships that get put on the boards of directors, uh, maybe 12, 15, sometimes 20 of them, right after leaving politics. Why do you think we got on 
with all these free shares involved. It's a payoff. And institutions run governments. Disraeli in the 1800s in Britain said the same thing. He says, the public have no idea who really runs the government. He says, it's not the people you see. No idea at all. And you probably find even that the CIA has far more inputs in how the society goes than any politician or even all of them collectively. And they look upon the people as a herd in the CIA and the military-industrial complex, and they go through all these future scenarios, what-if scenarios. What if we ran out of oil? They had these, this going in the 60s, they'd practice war games with taking over the Middle East. Uh, what if um, there's too many people? How would we bring them down? Well, there'd be, a, there'd be riots in the street if they made it mandatory to sterilize people. So therefore, you'd have to do it stealthily, with stealth and cunning, and always with deniability. How would you introduce it? They went through inoculations, different means of introducing things into the body to do so. The UN also had studies going, and people like Arthur Kostler that worked for the MI5 at one point and turned out all these left-wing Trotskyite novels, also was a part of it. He wrote about that in his own book. Ways to lobotomize that part of the brain that made you an individual. Because the big problem of governments have always been keep the people placid and going along with everything that they want them to go along with. Then we saw Kissinger with his bill in the 70s coming out with the greatest threat to to the state was uh, overpopulation and massive amounts of money went to finding ways to stop them the, the, the birth rate from rising to find ways especially in third world countries to stop them from becoming healthy from growing into productive societies because they did not want competition at all from any of these third world countries so keep them in poverty keep wars going when wars are on the go, no one's working in the fields. When they're not working in the fields, people starve. And you had all through the Cold War this ping-pong game of the U.S. and Britain supplying uh, the right-wingers and Russia supplying the left-wingers, and they sat back and they watched them fight for years and years and years in different places, places in Africa. This is all geopolitics, you see. And whenever you see plans for a country outside your own that's to be brought down in some way or another by your country don't ever think that you also are exempt from that whatever tactic they're using depopulation, fertility dropping all that stuff no, you're included in it eventually the big eating machine comes around to you never forget that and with, as I say, this, uh, this, this global warming rubbish that they now call climate change, which means changes in the weather, which used to be normal growing up for me. That's why you had the weatherman on TV that actually was a climatologist. Now they, they fired them all to start this farce and just get these young guys in who just read the dummy board and they don't know why things are happening the way they are. The climate bill at Copenhagen will be signed. It's already a done deal. Whenever they meet at these things, it's just getting the signatures on it. It's all been done in advance at previous meetings by the bureaucracies involved. You will not be able to sell your home 
unless it is thermal efficient, as they'll say. And to get it thermal efficient will probably cost more than the house is worth. And you'll find, guarantee you, you will find this, because I've done this before in similar areas, if you can't upgrade it and afford it, then you can't sell it. Well, you also can't live in it because they'll find you one to two to five thousand dollars a day until you comply. You see, and this will drive lots and lots of people into the authorized cities, already overcrowded, of course, but that won't matter. Where the landlords with thousands of apartments get benefits to upgrade from the government. And that's where you're going to live. Back with more after this break. Hi, folks. I'm Alan Watts, and this is Cutting Through the Matrix just talking about the big big agenda and believe you me, nothing is going to stop this uh, apart from destroying every treaty ever made with the United Nations, to be honest with you and there's so many it would take a while to go through them and uh, burn them up because this is a big big agenda, planned intergenerationally for an awful long time by the big boys who basically run the world but they'll stick to their guns to get any lie through and once it's through, then they'll, they'll go quiet again because once the law's on the books, they can stretch any law to wherever they want to go, and they know exactly where they want to go with, with every law. Now, even in the Southern Hemisphere, it's colder than normal. And it says here, and this is from the Otago Daily Times, New Zealand, it's official October was frigid. It says chilly weather kept temperatures down to record low levels across Otago last month with Dunedin expecting its coldest October since records began about 60 years ago. Nationally, it was the coldest October in 64 years, with an average temperature of 10.6 degrees centigrade. That's 1.4 degrees centigrade below the long-term average and record low temperatures recorded in many areas, including Otago, the National Institute of Water and Atmospheric Research, climate summary says. I think it's going to tell you that they're, they're down all over the place in the lower hemisphere and then you you go on to this article and it's from Breit, or Breitbart is called uh, it says here the World Council of Churches now the World Council of Churches does not, I don't think explain that here uh, was Rockefeller's method of getting all the big churches under his clutches basically or in his clutches because I think David started it up became the first chairman of it and the idea was to bring all the Christian groups together and then gradually feed them data they'd feed down to their congregations and the different churches and then give them booklets to read so they're all on the same track politically correct and all the rest of it that's what you do Bernays was the guy that suggested to use these techniques with existing organizations especially Christian groups so the World Council of Churches is a, is a Rockefeller-owned uh, and operated organization. Uh, it says, on Thursday, called for churches around the world to ring their bells 350 times during the Copenhagen Climate Change Summit on December the 13th as a call to action on global warming. Now, I just read that on, on the 
one about uh, the Southern Hemisphere. The leading council of Christian and Orthodox churches also invited places of worship for other faiths to join a symbolic chain of chimes, chain of chimes, and prayers stretching around the world from international dateline in the South Pacific. On that Sunday, midway through the UN summit, the WCC invites churches around the world to use their bells, bells, drums, gongs, or whatever the tradition tradition offers to call people to prayer and action in the face of climate change. Can you believe this dribble? Can you believe it? By sounding their bells or other instruments 350 times, participating churches will symbolize the 350 parts per million (laughs) that mark the safe upper limit for CO2 in the atmosphere, according to many scientists. What a joke. I love when they always say scientists are all agreed, and they're not. Only the paid-off ones that work for the United Nations are agreed on anything. They'll accept any lie that helps them. The chimes are meant to start at 3 p.m. local time in each location. It says it brings together 348 Protestant, Orthodox, and Anglican churches, representing about 560 million Christians in 110 countries. And they've also got the Catholic Church in it as well, the Council of European Bishops, Conferences, etc. Everybody's getting in on it. Uh, I tell you, this, this group that runs the propaganda stuff for the philanthropic uh, Rockefeller Foundation is, is quite something. They know their stuff. They hire the best marketing strategists. They come up with these ideas. And, you know, the schmucks go along with it at the bottom. They do. They do, don't they? You just can't stop them at the bottom. They'll go all there with their bells and their drums and their and all their little instruments and stuff and, and do the little thing and all think they've done a good thing. And they have no idea what it's even all about or what the long-term strategy is for. They don't even know that there is a long-term strategy. Oh, you can't help those people at all. can't do it. Then after that, on the Mail Online, uh, it says here, 13th of November, uh, the giant iceberg that went walkabout towards the coast of Australia Australia is known for sunny beaches, surfers, and blistering outback heat. So scientists were a bit taken aback when they spotted this giant iceberg floating near an island down under. Australian Antarctic Division researchers were working on Macquarie Islands when they first saw the iceberg last Thursday, about five miles off the islands. It's rare to see an iceberg floating so far north of Antarctica, researchers said. And then it goes on to explain how icebergs bergs form and how they sort of lop over at the very top and come off in massive, huge chunks. All quite normal. But the reason it's going so far north, and I'll tell you why this is happening, is because from other reports the seas are cooling. The seas are cooling. That's why it's going so far. Otherwise it would melted long before, you see. But here they are with the little bells and the cymbals, all these booty two-shoe people with the waxed, shiny faces going to pray a guest to their god Al Gore to save the world back with more after this break you're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth 
this is cutting through the matrix. Uh, someone's asked if, if uh, Ron Paul and Peter Schiff are on our side, and if they are, is there any hope they can at least slow down the implementation? I guess it's off the agenda. Well, I don't know if they're, or whose side they're on, but the fact is uh, two guys couldn't do it. Two guys could not do it. They'd be dead before they uh, got up the steps of the Congress Hall. Because so much is riding on this. This is, this is above government. See, there's a, a real parallel government that does not run by using democracy. In fact, as members say, it does not believe in democracy. They get the big jobs done by bypassing democracy. Margaret Thatcher said that when she left government and joined what she called the parallel government, the same parallel government that Carl Quigley talks about, and he was the historian for the American branch, the Council on Foreign Relations. He's a guy who, who filled in all the blank, the blank spots in history and told you why they happened. They were behind it, this, the particular groups that eventually became the Council on Foreign Relations and the Royal Institute for International Affairs. And Thatcher said, yeah, we can get things done. She says, um, there are too many parties bickering in, in the democratic system. Nothing can get done. And they have their big plans to do. And all these ex-prime ministers and presidents are part of it. She says, we all know each other. We can get things done behind the scenes because they've got the power to do it. That's confirmed again by Carol Quigley. And... Uh, that's also confirmed by the Club of Rome that said the system that they were bringing in. And then remember, the Club of Rome was just sponsored and paid for by the Royal Institute for International Affairs. And the Club of Rome said that um, they favored collectivism to run the world. That's basically a new Sovietized system. So this will not be changed by one or two men. And every time the election comes up, they always give you a middleman that says all the right things, but can't get in. He can't get in. But you're given middlemen. I know, but Ron Paul, I mean, I've read some of his speeches. He even said, don't be afraid of world government or, 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 or free trade, global uh, free trade. And so on. don't be afraid of it. And I know he's trying to push gold and silver again back on, but you have to look at one of his main sponsors to find out why that is. And personally, I don't care if it's porcupine quills or seashells, whoever has the monopoly on them and says what they're worth of purchasing power is a guy that runs you. That's how it's always been. The Rothschilds are the guys, and they have been for the last, what, 200 and odd years, who get up in the morning in London, stick a finger out the window and uh, feel the wind and tell you they set the gold standard for the day. The Rothschilds set up the London Gold uh, Standard headquarters and the metals trading uh, place as well in London, England. All metals go through the Rothschilds. All metals. That's everything goes through the Rothschilds in London. This is the metals exchange. And uh, it's when someone else can decide how much it's worth, what the value is, then what chance do you have? What chance do you have to, to make it ahead? They can devalue that just as much as they can devalue paper currency. And see, any commodity, any commodity, is no different than sugar or toilet paper or whatever. It's the demand for it, you see. 
And at the end of the day, if you're starving and I've got a loaf of bread uh, and you've got a, a bag of gold there, you can, you can present me with a gold coin and technically I can, I can say to you, um, okay, I want the whole bag for this loaf of bread. Take it or leave it. It's a deal between two people. In fact, gold and its exchange for dollars or for any other currency can only work when someone declares its present value at the top in an economy that's functioning and another currency is issued. That's why they buy it. People will buy it at the going rate. In a crisis situation, the going rate's out the window. It's up to the purchaser and the seller to agree upon what this is worth for that which is being sold. Any com Personally, if I could, if I could build a, a massive warehouse, and, I really, and if I really thought the end of the world was coming, at least the system as we know it, I'd stock up in toilet paper. That'd be a fantastic thing to trade. Uh, believe you me, if uh, all hell broke loose and nothing was getting produced for a long time, and different hygiene products, they'd be in big demand. But yeah, commodities are commodities. What the U.S. would have to do definitely is have its own mint and mint its own coinage don't farm it out to anybody else that should be illegal and if it wants to print its own paper it should do that too it shouldn't be borrowing some strange thing a check to, to print from some other international banker across any waters or even within your own country and governments too We'll never let that happen because they depend on the system. They always spend more than they take in. So they want to go cap in hand to these international boys. In fact, the whole socialist system depends on this very technique. I actually wonder if socialism was for the people, how come they're always pushing for more debt? Just borrow, borrow, borrow and create debt. What's well, for the bankers? Bankers live on debt and interest. They are the bosses. Governments should live within their means, which would mean, as you all know, that every government in the so-called uh, first world countries would have to slash its governments by about nine-tenths, and that'd be a darn good thing. But that won't happen. That won't, that won't happen. Never happen. We haven't had uh, so-called democratic governments I don't think ever really, to be honest with you. When you look at even uh, right after the American Revolution and the very facts they put in, uh, the different draftings that those in government shouldn't hire their own relatives. Well, they were already doing it in the, in the first generation. Even Franklin tried to get his temple, one of his sons, a job in government, but there's already quite a few had, had done that for their own offspring. You have dynasties, you see, it's, it's inevitable. Dynasties arise within governments and if you look at the history of the US especially it's like patent place it's just a succession of family dynasties well known family dynasties not just the presidents but the ones behind them as well the big players there's your reality there and the way you stop something is you stop something from starting at the beginning you can't stop things once they're well on the way you can't do it that's why you can't negotiate with tyranny of any kind. You cannot come to a compromise on anything 
you're not quite sure on, something smells with it, you just don't compromise. You can't go that way. But they've bypassed all this with executive orders. Every country uses them. Proclamations is another way too to do it. Proclamations. That's legal by law. And various other methods. And then creating agencies within governments, uh, like the Food, the Food and Drug Administration or the CDC, that bypasses anything going on in Congress. They just go ahead and do their own thing. There's no comeback on them at all. They pass laws all the time. Now, we've got a caller there. We've got Laura Lee from Alberta. Are you there, Laura? I am, Alan. How are you doing tonight? Not so bad. Well, I understand your toilet paper comment because I've actually balked up. My boyfriend thinks it's kind of funny. That's a good idea. <laughs> I'm thinking so. I'm thinking so. The reason I'm calling is I noticed in the past, and I hate to bring up H1N1 because it drives me crazy that it seems to be the primary topic on the news, whether it's uh, paper or television. But uh, I've noticed in the past that you've made quite a few comments about MS. Now, I have MS, Mm -hmm. and I've gone through the Internet, and I've been trying to do research and finding out the connection that you're making with H1N1 and MS. Now, I've spoken with physicians. No, everybody seems to be supportive of the vaccine. I just want to hear what you've come across, because I can't seem to find anything. Well, muscular sclerosis, also called disseminated sclerosis, mm-hmm. uh, first really was studied in the Hebrides in Scotland, because uh, and what they noticed was that uh, people who worked with the sheep uh, often got muscular scler- uh, dystrophy or sclerosis, and it's a similar thing that sheep had called swayback, and they wondered if there was a viral connection. Uh, we know, for instance, uh, the symptoms of it, they're, they're unmistakable. And with multiple sclerosis, you have um, inflammation along the myelin sheath nerves of the nervous system. Mm-hmm. And uh, they eventually become massively inflamed, and then uh, after a while they become uh, sclerosed, they become fibrous tissue, scar tissue, right. and uh, they end up with getting different kinds of partial paralysis, sometimes total, sometimes there's a remission for a while, but you, you just, it's hard to get cleared up altogether, and they don't know how to do it, to be honest with you. Okay. Um, you get spontaneous uh, remissions, but when you look at the, the symptoms of um, they're coming down with with the, the shots, and already there's women in, in, in France now being reported that now have the Guillain Barr syndrome, as they're calling it, and in the states too, a young guy just came down. There's different people, and these are the ones that have hit the news. Other ones are being suppressed, um, but that to me is, is basically a reaction against something that was put into their body, it causes the exact same symptoms, uh, eventually of muscular sclerosis or disseminated sclerosis, same thing. The inflammation in the myelin sheath, uh, the paralysis, uh, including speech at times as well. And, and with a vaccination type, you seem to go, almost to go into uh, a latter phase of it immediately. In other words, something massively inflames the myelin sheath much, much uh, faster than any other way of contracting multiple sclerosis. Okay. All right then. Well, that that makes sense. I can see that because I there's just because of who I am and my disease and 
I do have other friends that have it as well, and none of us are getting it, and because we're all getting so many mixed stories, and it mm-hmm. just. Yeah, yeah. And what they put it down to, too, you see, I mean, the multiple sclerosis and so on, they'll often say it's some kind of autoimmune disease. Whenever they don't know what's causing it, at the bottom level of medicine, and from that I mean the professor is down, that's the bottom level of medicine. The higher levels of medicine are up in the warfare departments because mm-hmm. uh, these are the guys who make a lot of nasty concoctions to wipe out whole populations and so on, and they really, really do. That's what they work at. Right. And... Um, uh, they know darn well what the effects of uh, inoculations are. It's well understood that there's something they're putting into the body that causes the, the autoimmune problem in the first place. Now, all these, these vaccines are meant to do is to what? Is to do with your immune system. It's like a detective story. If I, I was okay before this, what happened recently? Well, have you changed your diet? Um, have you gone off on holiday abroad and caught some strange exotic disease? Or did you get the injection? And right. the injections come up every single time. They, they're altering your immune system. And with this time, with the squalene, which is in it, by the way, they, they got approval to put quite large quantities of squalene in all these shots for the U.S. And the first time in particular, we've already had it in Canada. Um, squalene uh, is an artificial type squalene. Ordinary squalene is found in the body. But it's found in your, in your joints primarily. And this weaponized, and it's weaponized squalene they put into you to supposedly to make your, your immune system go to war with the traces of virus they put into you. Uh, well, what happens with most people, your, your body doesn't stop going to war once it's, it's attacked all this, this lab-created squealing. It goes looking for your natural squealing in your body, and you end up with rheumatoid arthritis, another autoimmune problem, as they call it. So, so this is all well understood at the top, but, uh, but facts won't matter. But when you spend billions of dollars on marketing strategies to terrify a public worldwide, you know uh, there's something big behind it. And what's happening, I've got some links I'll even put up tonight uh, from vaccine sites, uh, very, very good vaccine sites, by the way. Um, one is the NVIC. And they go through the, the panic creation that was done with this. They go through the facts that came out. And even admitted, it says here, um, a veteran investigative journalist at a major news network published an interesting report about the fact that 83 to 97% of all specimens of suspected H1N1 cases that were sent to the CDC by State Departments for lab confirmation from the spring to the summer came back negative, not only for H1N1 swine flu influenza, but also negative for any kind of type A or B influenza. <laughs> that's when they told them when that study came back, and that was published at the time, and I didn't mention it on there. That's when they told them stop taking specimens, just classify everybody with a snotty nose as having swine flu. Yeah, yeah, okay. Well, thank you very much for answering my question, and thank you for all your hard work. And take another caller. (laughs) Thanks for calling. Thank you. Bye-bye. But I should also say about this um, NVIC, it's a good good website, because it goes into how how the FDA got involved and how even the CDC got really started up and how they used early cases from the early 1900s to establish their authority over the American people. And it was the same in every other country, by the way, all through the British Empire as well. But they also have a, a site here, and I linked up to it, 
and it's from the Food and Drug Administration to do with implantable medical chips. And I'll put that up tonight. Implantable medical chips. They call them electronic uh, transponders. That's why they're even using these names. So you do a search, you aren't going to find anything unless you're the exact right name. And um, and how they're, they're, they're allowing anybody, any manufacturer of these chips, to go ahead and start selling them without testing them. Uh, as long as they fulfill certain criteria for the FDA, they can actually just go ahead and start selling them. And they mentioned the different types of chips they have. But it ties in with this other site, let's say the NVIC on, on inoculations, vaccinations, and the history of it. Very good site, uh, including the one about the, the present supposed flu, which seems to be more bogus than anything. And it's to get down the road into mandating everyone to get health chips, health chips for our safety, our collective safety. That's what really all of this, apart from all the money that's getting thrown at the pharma, that's really going to be the end product of it all. And you see, there already is, from Bill Clinton's time on, an electronic register, medical register of everybody in the U.S., everybody who visits a doctor and so on. It was set up then. And this, uh, the chip, is, will just be an extension of that. And the ultimate purpose for it is, is going under electronic registry for health on a database. That's already up and running, by the way. Back with more after this break. Through the matrix, this uh, site, the NVIC, uh, excellent uh, website, has so much uh, of, of the facts in here. There's no speculation. They, they give you the data. As I say too, that that's what they said. Uh, I remember reading an article at the time: 83 to 97 percent of all specimens of nasal specimens and so on suspected of H1N1 cases sent to the CDC by state departments for lab confirmation from the spring to the summer came back negative not only for H1N1 swine flu but also for negative for any kind of type A or type B influenza at all and that confirmed it says what the CDC's influenza experts said at an FDA meeting in 2003 that 80% of all flu-like illnesses every year are not actually influenza, but viral and bacterial infections that look like influenza. Add add to that hysteria, because that's what they've been drumming up, is mass hysteria. Mass hysteria. That's quite something, isn't it? Now... Sanofi, there's another article here to Sanofi, the big vaccine company that actually was a front for, for Rockefellers too. I don't know if people realize that these big companies, the majority shares in them all are Rockefellers across the planet. The holding majority shares are Rockefeller, and a lot of them were signed up by his organization. But Sanofi's decided, oh yeah, they're going to need, they're going to need um, the uh, Two swine flu shots, now they've decided. Now they're on a roll, you see, and they're getting all this cash from government, they get more cash. Uh, this article here, 
is from uh, PoconoRecord.com. It says, Youngsters need two uh, swine flu shots in healthy research. Shows, November 12, 2009. New test results for Sanofi's swine flu vaccine confirmed that children will require, that's up to, up to, or under nine will require two doses to protect it from the H1N1 infection. Now remember before they said one was okay. But they're on a roll now, why not just grab as much as you can when the money's flowing? The company announced the results of a 42-day clinical trial Wednesday that tested the vaccine on 849 adults and 474 children. Results showed the vaccine produced an effective immune response in both children and adults. And listen to this, according to a press release issued by Sanofi. <laughs> I've also got a website, by the way, that the big pharma companies got together and put up to answer all reporters' questions for the newspapers and television. So here's a pharma putting up a bit. I'll try and find it for you and put it up as well. And I'll show you where all uh, these um, brown-nosing uh, journalists get all their data from. It's from the big pharma themselves. Okay. And uh, but there you go. They want to have two. It says, the results of the trial confirm earlier to data reported by the National Institute of Health. The antibody responses, which measure the vaccine's effectiveness, encouraging the body to protect itself from the virus, doubled in children under nine after the second dose was administered. This is from Sanofi, of course, the guys that make the stuff. <laughs> Beautiful, isn't it? Oh boy, I tell you, medicine's beautiful when you. It's all controlled from the top. And as I say, Verichip too, Verichip ties in with what's coming because he buys Steel Vault, creating micro implant health record credit score empire. They're now called Positive ID. Positive ID. We'll all be getting one of them at the end of all the cities of scares. From Hamish myself from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me, your God or your God's go with you.